to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. Welcome to Gladiatrix. I'm your host, Malini Sarma. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. In today's episode, I will be speaking with Vidya Shaker. Vidya was born into an extremely artistic and talented family. It was not surprising to see her on stage. As a daughter of a famous dancer, as a performer herself, as a Guinness Book of World Record holder for the longest non-stop performance of a classical art form for both 48 and 72 hours, or as Miss India USA. However, what one did not see was the trauma that she went through as a victim of abuse and the stigma of divorce. Vidya has not given up the big fight. She continues to fight bigotry, racism, hackers as her role as a cybersecurity specialist, and lupus, which she was diagnosed with in her early 30s. This is her story. Hey, Vidya. Thank you so much for joining my show today. I'm so excited that you're here, and I can't wait to hear all your amazing stories because I know you have a ton. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. It's funny. Um, It's been a long life, but it's been a good one. I tried not to leave too many things without trying them at least once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so why don't we start with, um, um, so we were talking about your life is because um, um, some people may know you, some people don't. Um, mm-hmm. You are a, you're, you've worn many hats, you know, you're a dancer, you're a cybersecurity specialist, um, uh, you know, you're a writer, you're a singer. I mean, you've done so many different things. So why yeah. don't we start with um, and you're also Indian and American, Canadian citizen. I mean, you've got different, you've different things, right? So um, why don't we start with your life as, you know, straddling two cultures and then you have an identity crisis and how do you figure out where you belong and some of the things that you had to deal with, you know, where you really needed to be brave and make a decision and move forward. Okay. Yeah. So um, I was, as you said, born in Canada, um, and then we came over here when I was about 10 years old. The place I moved to was a wonderful place to actually prevent yourself from having an identity crisis. Um, It's this little heavenly little spot of middle class called Oak Park, Michigan, near the Detroit Zoo. And the community was already very mixed when we got there. So it was partially Jewish, partially Black. And um, my, even my street that I grew up, Seneca, even that street was and is like that today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ours was the one Indian house with the Diwali lights on all year long. Um, ours was the one where there was always dance classes going on. And in fact, when I was growing up, the kids from the street, kids from my school, they were in my backyard with us or in our dance classes with us, and they were learning as well. So, um, you know, I don't think... Uh, I think there's an entire group of people that are probably now in their fifties or yeah, they're in their fifties and they all know a little bit of classical Indian dance Dance. because of that, which is awesome. Um, A a thing, a side effect though, is uh, that it's, you know, we had an extended family, a lot of people living with us. 
And so the capacity of things happening that should not happen uh, was a little more than it would be if we had just stuck with a nuclear family. And because of the extended mm -hmm. family, there was a lot of demand in terms of obedience and um, abusive behavior that came from that, not mm -hmm. from my actual parents, but right. extended um, people. And dealing with that probably, um, uh, you know, really made me question my identity more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, up until the time that those things were uh, emerging in my life as a, as a normal thing to be feared because it was going to happen regularly up until that point. Um, you know, I knew myself as being, uh, not really from any culture because I kind of just learned whatever everybody else was doing and followed along. So when I went to school, I was just whatever my friends were mm -hmm. and they were from multiple communities. Some were from Lebanon, someone, some were local and they were from, you know, the African-American community. Some of them were Jewish. Some of them were, you know, they were just from everywhere. So I didn't really consider myself anything. Mm -hmm. I always thought of myself as kind of, you know, culture lists, if you mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. um, but I did observe cultures very, very closely. And I, that's what I loved about people is that they all had tradi traditions. And mm -hmm. I was told that we had traditions. Mm -hmm. So that, um, and your traditions were supposed to be your strength. Right. To me, my traditions, uh, I don't think the traditions betrayed me, but I do think some people purporting to be the owners of the traditions betrayed me. Mm -hmm. And that's where you start to say, okay, are any of these other cultures safer for mm -hmm. me? Mm -hmm. Um, by then I had grown to be old enough to be married and decided I was going to take an exit, you know, escape this situation and, and marry into a family that was probably going to be a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I went there and realized that, uh, my husband at the time was also facing quite a bit of identity kind of crisis, if you will. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there were several, um, cultural things he was uh, straddling and, and struggling with. And mm -hmm. I think uh, some of that got taken out on me mm -hmm. and it led to me deciding to leave that situation as well. Mm -hmm. So um, each time I left, I think something in my head said, you have to jump right now. Mm -hmm. And each time I thought I was escaping, but what I was really doing was calculated and I was choosing something else. Mm -hmm. So looking back when people would say, that was so brave of you. I really didn't believe that or trust that. Right. And I didn't internalize the bravery until I looked back at my life, probably when I was 45 mm -hmm. and started to say, those were bold decisions. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, people don't normally make the choices I made. Mm -hmm. Like, in, in Detroit, there was actually a story that was really big in the news and in the papers. And it was about this Indian woman mm -hmm. who had walked into the Detroit River and killed herself because she couldn't handle all the wow. family abuse and problems. Mm -hmm. That was a big story that I read when I was young and it impacted me. And I was like, will I be that kind of person? Mm -hmm. I'm sure at some point I thought of it as an option. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the desire to be alive mm -hmm. is a very strong one. Yep. And so the choices I made um, had me just finding something else that was a better answer. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the better answer is it's better, but it's not best, right? Right. So right. we always have to, I think it's a human desire to right. always seek better than this, better right. than this, and always try to improve. Right. So um, when I left that situation 
that's when my world opened up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, on the one side, there was a community that acted very strangely Mm -hmm. women from the community. Several of them, uh, would kind of say that they couldn't be friends with me anymore because their families would not accept, you know, that, Mm -hmm. that they were good girls if they were friends with me. Mm -hmm. And then I had this other side of married men, which I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. They suddenly thought that I was fresh game and I was like, no, this doesn't make sense either. So that was a very interesting time of kind of Right. And, and a lot of people didn't believe also when you told them that, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was yeah. really weird because well, if you're divorced, point, then you you're step not outside of yourself yep. and you observe your, the situation and you're like, yep. did somebody write this? Is this real? What's right. going on? You're kind yep. of in shock every time something like that happens. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and people, mm-hmm. you know, respond to you in a certain way. Yep. Um, so that, was going on for a little while but you know you you figure out that life goes on and one of the most interesting things that happened to me though was uh when I was in my 30s I was diagnosed with lupus Mm -hmm. and um it actually has impacted my life in a very profound way I'm handicapped now Mm -hmm. um to many people it's like oh, do this, take this, change your diet, do this, and you'll get better. I've got a cure or Mm -hmm. there is no cure. There's not even a root cause. And, you know, several um, esteemed scientific entities in many countries are Mm -hmm. working on it. Canada's done a lot of work Mm -hmm. on, um, on lupus and trying to make life easier. Mm -hmm. What it feel like feels like to me is that I have a constant toothache in my body all the time on a good day. Mm Mm-hmm. On a bad day, it feels like uh, certain organs or my arms are getting pulled out of their sockets or out of their location in the body because it's that painful. It's it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I take a lot of medicines to kind of deal with that. But the side effect of one of the approaches that one of the doctors took actually ended up putting 100 pounds more on my body. Mm-hmm. And initially, it was disconcerting to live in a larger body. Right. I've even had a friend of mine um, kind of spank me and say, hey, your butt's bigger than you think it is, which mm-hmm. I thought was funny because she was a good friend of mine. She could do that. <laughs> uh, she's like, your, your butt's bigger than you think it is. You're going to like hit that thing and drop it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so learning to be in a bigger space was very, very intriguing mm-hmm. uh, and exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think what ended up happening was the side effect of that is was odd because I was suddenly being taken seriously at work. Ah. I was being taken seriously by men. I was mm-hmm. not being looked at for what I, you know, what I looked like. I was right. being looked at for, okay, well, she's got something to say. What do you have to say? Mm-hmm. That was a really odd and interesting thing that occurred when I gained all that weight. So I, you know, of course take, took advantage of it because mm-hmm. who wouldn't, right. um, and it really helped me focus my career in a direction I was genuinely interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by which time, you know, I've I'd experienced several things. The country had experienced several attacks, and security was becoming more becoming more important for everybody. Right. And so I right. chose cybersecurity as a field. Um, but I feel like every little step, every little thing you do in life, leads to the next thing. Yep. Yep. And it's your life is really. Uh, it's really whatever your imagination will let you take it. You know, it can take you as far as you want it to go. Right. And it can either take, you know, several people live in very, very dangerous environments just because Mm -hmm. of who they are. 
Right. So this is not to belittle their experience at all, because certainly we've got our share of that as well. Mm-hmm. But just when you start being perceived differently, it's a very interesting out of body experience because you're like, okay, who are they talking about? You know, right, right. You're looking, uh, you're looking over your shoulder, wondering if they're talking to somebody else. You're talking to me exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I sometimes wonder to myself, you know, we're we're going through this time right now in America where race is a big issue. Mm-hmm. It, I wonder one day. If, if the darker people woke up fairer skinned, would that be, would, would they experience that out of body experience? Because would people treat them differently? And we know they would. Eddie Murphy had done that experiment before. Mm -hmm. So um, on on Saturday night live. And while it was funny back then, it's not funny Funny now now. what people are going through. However, the results of his unscientific comedy experiment really are true. Like if people, uh, just decided to try that experiment, they would find themselves getting through their day normally without having to be fearful of anything. Right. So I think about that a lot because I did live in fear at one point and mm-hmm. then I changed and people perceived me differently because of my appearance. And once that happened, I got to live in safety, which is a very, very interesting thing. So and I don't know that I would have chosen it for myself, but that's just what happened. Yeah. So, so here's a question. So when you were talking about, you know, um, being single um, for, for, you know, based on whatever had happened before, and then you get diagnosed with lupus, and then you moved into cybersecurity, that all kind of happened one right after the other, didn't it? Or did it, did it kind of be, kind of force you into, I mean, you didn't realize it, but you just kind of ended up going in that direction. And not that, you know, you had a choice around lupus or anything, but it did the, with the timing of all of that for you have to, you deal, deal with one kind of, you know, fear, you kind of overcome that. And then you realize you have the courage to whatever, whatever's coming your way, you're able to deal with it. Or was it? Yeah. That- it's, it's kind of like, uh, I think sometimes when opportunity falls into your lap, it's a question of two evils. Do I stick with the situation I'm in right now? Or do I just, go do it. it. Just take the leap of faith. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And mind you, I wasn't alone. I was single, but I wasn't alone. I've had my boyfriend with me this whole time. Um, it's been 25 years. So I haven't been like without someone to, uh, share this journey with, and he's been super helpful, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, it would have probably been scarier without it, but I also don't have him around me all the time. And he's not like one of those protective people at all. He just kind of lets me loose. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if somebody on the outside decided to come and say things to me and and try to pick me up Mm -hmm. after one of my concerts, he wouldn't say anything (laughs) I had to defend myself, which is, was awesome because it gave me the freedom to make the choice to defend myself. Right. And that is an exercise that makes you stronger. Because normally you probably wouldn't even be allowed to go without, you know, right. escort or you couldn't say anything, you know, they would decide where you go, how you, what yep. you wear, you know, or yep. time you need to be back. And this is like a completely different world. Completely right? different experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, the what to wear thing. I was just so relieved when I stopped having to be <laughs> dressed a certain way. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. Like, it's just that sometimes you don't feel like it. And sometimes you do. Like sometimes yeah. you want to dress up. And when you go through those phases in life, like one year I decided I was always going to wear a dress and wear a necklace. Mm-hmm. That was just my thing. Mm-hmm. So I think you even saw me during those days. I yeah. would fly in and I'd be wearing a dress and a necklace. Yes. I did it for like, I think two years I did that. Okay. And then I went back to like, well, now my uniform's going to be 
jeans and a tank top and a sweater that I can take off or put on. Mm -hmm. And that became my uniform for a little while. But that's the, that's the thing about um, the freedom of a person right. to choose who they're going to be and how they're going to dress themselves, right? It seems mm -hmm. like a very basic thing. Mm -hmm. Some people don't have that right. No. Um, and some people live in relationships or in a culture where they don't have that right. And right. In some sense, I'm, I think many of us are very privileged for having that ability. That's true. That's true. So a question is like, as you, uh, you know, you have all these different experiences that you went through in different, in different, um, at different times in your life, how, how, what prompted you or what kind of forced you to make that decision? I mean, I know now when you look back you're like, wow, I can't believe I did all that. But at that moment, how did you know that you had to do something different? Was it like a, you know, it, it was just that you couldn't be there anymore or it was like, okay, I'm out of here because I don't have to deal with this anymore. What? Um, I think in a domestic situation, you know, when it's time, mm -hmm. I, I really tried. I tried for seven years. I really tried. Mm -hmm. And it was just that one day and I just wasn't going to be um, hurt anymore. I mm -hmm. wasn't. I was mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. I, and I think at that moment, you kind of say, if I go outside in the winter in this nightgown mm -hmm. and I run two miles to mm -hmm. get away and mm -hmm. find a place to stay, that is better than staying here in this warm house in the winter where I can right. get myself food if I need to, but I'm going to be potentially harmed or hit or yelled at miserable. or belittled yeah. or yeah, or locked in a closet. Like, you know, mm -hmm. all those things are right. worse. Are, all those things are worse than being, being alone, mm -hmm. running down the street in the cold winter with snow on the ground barefoot. Right. Yeah. That's better. Mm -hmm. it, those are the kinds of decisions that kind of uh, are the things that I look back and say, okay, that was brave. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, it's like, it's like I ask myself all the time, am I happy now, right mm -hmm. now? Right. Um, I think some people look back and say, I invested seven years in that relationship. I can't just let it go. Right. I invested eight to 10 years of my time in a college studying to be this particular thing. I can't let it go and retrain myself to be something totally else. Mm -hmm. Or I spent, I invested all these years of my life learning everything about this particular art or craft or dance mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. I can't be anything else than that. Well, that's baloney because you can always be something else. You right. can always be something else. Yep. Um, it, age is no bar and you can start whenever you're ready. And you can be something else in your mind if you can't be something else in your whole system, like in your whole body, right? Like right. you can't actually, I can't actually dance anymore. It's okay. In my head I can. Yep. And all kinds of creations happen there and that's yep. okay. That's a good place you for You can sit them, and dance you know? too. You don't have you to stand and dance. Up. There's so many options, right? Yep. Yep. But say, yep. imagine that I get um, thrown in prison for something that mm -hmm. I didn't do or did do, whatever. Mm -hmm. Imagine I'm there, I'm caged in, I can't really do anything else. But at that point, does the human give up? 
So I always wonder, I ask myself this, I do a lot of work right now um, in hackathons uh, Mm -hmm. to kind of support uh, anti-human trafficking. I work Mm -hmm. on a hackathon project called Project Tyra, where we're trying to create some solutions to actually um, uh, intercept Mm -hmm. uh, human trafficking and provide services so people can get out of that situation. Mm -hmm. So I often talk to people that have been there and their stories and some of them have gone through some really, really cruel kinds of things where they've been trapped mm-hmm. literally in a, in a cage or mm-hmm. in, a, in a room or in a barn or on a property and they were not allowed to be free. Mm-hmm. And um, I've talked to them about freedom in captivity, mm-hmm. which I find very fascinating because it's almost this thing that your brain does from what I've heard from them. Your brain just finds something Mm-hmm. to entertain itself with mm-hmm. even in captivity mm-hmm. to give you hope yeah because you're still living and breathing your brain is still functioning your heart is still beating mm-hmm. so and you're still breathing air so you're something in that system for many of these people um the sense of survival know. yeah yes it's that it's that desire to survive it does something and it, it allows you to live a freedom somewhere in that captivity. Okay. Um, and I think about that a lot when I, I, I really, uh, you know, I'm grateful, grateful for the freedom I have every day and who knows how long that will last for any of us ever. Right. Yeah. Cause it's always a crapshoot being alive. Um, <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> it's always a crapshoot, but you just put your, put your pennies where you think they'll be and put your chips in the right place. And maybe, maybe the dice will roll the right way. So, um, I just try to think about now, like now I have lots of things. I'm in a really great place. I'm, I'm, you know, really, really doing well in terms of what society sees as successful. Right. Mm -hmm. But I still ask myself every day, am I happy? Am I happy with this? Is this what makes me happy? Right. I question myself every day. And then I occupy, occupy my extra time with other things because we're all stuck at home in COVID. Right. So right I could now. easily mm-hmm. binge watch movies or Netflix or whatever. Mm-hmm. But instead for me, and I'm not saying that doing that is wrong, that is fantastic. And I've had my days where I've done that. For me, I'd rather study something or work on a hackathon project where I can help people that are trying to get PPE masks right now, like PPE mm-hmm. Um, masks and gloves and things like in the, in the hospitals. Like, I would rather work on things like that with my spare time because mm-hmm. it's just part of my survival. Right. Mm, Cause right. Um, I've lost people recently. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this, like uh, the rate of losses is, is increasing mm-hmm. um, for many of us because we all know people and people are dying and COVID's not being nice to anybody. Right. Uh, but still, your your sense of survival, how do I get through this? How do I keep my brain going? How do I not yep. fall apart? Yep. How do I not fall apart is really yep. what it's about. Right. So part of it is like trying to be brave and trying to be successful and get to that next thing and accomplish that thing. Mm-hmm. That's a distraction. I feel like deep inside, it's how not to fall apart, ah. how not to lose this how okay. not to lose this great thing I have right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an everyday thing, right? Every day. Yeah. Ask every yourself day. that so that we can, yes. I'll, if I can get through this, I'll be fine. And then yes. you do. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Yeah, you I get totally get it. that. Yeah. Most of the time you survive. It's, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, hey, one I more did. day. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yep. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, so looking back now that you, you've had like so many, you know, amazing, scary, but at the end, when you turn around and look at yourself and you're like, wow, I can't believe I did that. So what would be the, some of the, what is the, you know, some of, if, if you had to go back to your younger self and say, you know, go back into the future, into the past and say, this is what you should do, knowing what you already know now, what would you tell your younger self? Um, well, I grew up in the Mm eighties and the way that education was then, I don't know if it's any better now, but there were certainly, there were those STEM classes where the attention was paid more to the boys than the girls. Mm -hmm. Um, and where we were kind of shuffled to, Oh, look at, look at social studies, look at Mm -hmm. art, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think the side of me that really liked shop and really liked math mm-hmm. and really liked science, I would tell my younger self, pay attention to those things you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also tell my younger self to figure out what my favorite color was. I think I knew when I was in sixth grade, but I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And nobody asked me what it was. So I stopped trying to know what my favorite color was. And then until I asked myself when I turned 50, I didn't know. So what is your favorite color? It's that teal green that's ah. in my hair. Ah, okay. My hair color is teal green. And I, the minute I figured out my favorite color, I went to Sebastian. I was like, okay, make my hair color my favorite color. And he's like, all righty. <laughs> he was really happy because he was tired of blonde. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 it's those little things when I was young, I would tell myself, pay attention to these things that are part of you. Stop looking at the world and how it perceives you. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to what you like who you are, what are the pieces of this existence that Mm -hmm. belong to you? Mm -hmm. Because you have a right to that. You have a right to knowing what your favorite food is and not just obeying and eating what people tell you. You have a right to know when you dislike something, you dislike a touch or a look. You have the right to know that. And tell and say something about and it. And say something about it to yeah. somebody who will listen. And if they won't listen, tell somebody else. else. Um, and then you have a right to just knowing the things about your world that you want to know. Today, I am super happy with my internet because I can ask it anything. Yeah. If I want to go down a rabbit hole to learn everything I can about Armenia, I can do it. Yeah. And I wanted that when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. I was always like trying to negotiate hours to go to the library because <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. there were other things to do at home. And I think I would tell my younger self, no, be brave and be like, no, I really want to know this. Just go learn it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because if learning is your pleasure, mm-hmm. which it is for me, mm-hmm. then no one should stop you from that. And I don't think they wanted to stop me. I just think time stopped me because there were other requirements. Right. I would prioritize the things that make me me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I didn't do when right. I was young mm-hmm. until it was time to change the situation. Yeah. So I think what I would say to my younger self is prioritize the things that make me, me, and then trust my judgment, trust, trust your gut judgment, yeah. trust yes. your gut. Yeah. You got to trust wrong. that. Yeah. There is something about that gut feeling that's mm-hmm. actually I feel it's related to big data because our body is a really powerful computer. Yep. Yeah, I, I and agree. And I feel like 
this concept of big data and how you can actually derive analysis, like you can derive results that help you see trends mm -hmm. um, in big data. I think when we get a gut feeling, our body's doing that for us. Yeah. Yep. Um, several times, uh, I was just talking to actually my best friend about this. Uh, we had uh, a ticket because I work in a security operations center. We had a ticket that came through and um, it was like, it was like a no brainer. Oh, this one's, we've seen this before we can close it. But I called her at 6 PM on a Friday one night. And I was like, I have a gut feeling about this. I think this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And she's like, what? And then we started looking at it together. We started going through it. We started looking at different things that were related to it. I showed her different URLs and how they were not, you know, um, they didn't look to be legitimate. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that, yeah, it was something we needed to pay attention to. So I think when your gut says something, it's valuable. And you know how they say things about women's intuition? Who knows yep. if that's real or not? But if Ooh. you have it, use it. Use it. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's bang on. Yeah. If you have it, use it. Mm -hmm. uh, if your intuition's not so great, try to build that muscle because it's a good thing. <laughs> um, yeah. These are things I think I would tell my younger self because, and then I think I'd also tell my younger self to believe that I was smart. It's still, it's still hard for me to believe I'm smart. Yeah. And part of that must have come from so many people telling me that you're conditioned uh, to dance this, and yeah. Indian music is an ocean of knowledge. You will never learn it all in one lifetime. <laughs> so that thing put itself in my brain. And I heard it from several people, I even saw it in movies when people were classical music teachers in a movie, yeah. right? Uh -huh. You see them say this ocean line, uh -huh. this ocean of knowledge line, <laughs> that thing destroyed me. <laughs> so, you know, I would, I would teach my younger self at the age of five to learn critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And when things are said to you, don't take them at face value. Yeah. Um, there is an ocean of knowledge. I don't need to know all of it to be smart. I agree. And that agree. is what I would tell my younger self above everything else. <laughs> Well, I hope that I hope the kids of this generation have figured that part out. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of people like you and me, we are like, you know, we straddle two cultures. Um, you know, you're Indian at home and you're American when you walk out the door. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, you're trying to keep that part, the, the Indian culture as, as pure as possible, you know, from based on how you grew up. But I well, think your that, daughter's your daughter's an anthropologist. Yeah. So I can say this to you. Mm -hmm. I'm actually not Indian at home. I like Indian clothes, so I mm -hmm. wear them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually American everywhere. Well, I'm Canadian. I'm, I'm a but, progressive but that, Canadian. But that happened for a reason, though, right? You well, were... I think I appreciate that culture. It's like my friends that absolutely love Japanese things and will dress and, and eat that stuff all the time, which I also love that. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of Japanese, too. Um, <laughs> It's like, I think that is, uh, it's choice, whatever you are, you know, mm -hmm. and you carry that with you and, and having an appreciation for these other cultures. I think it becomes easier than straddling cultures and trying to figure out who you are. So I don't think it's that I'm one thing here and one thing elsewhere. I think I'm all things everywhere. And I think that, that is the difference, right? Because, and I think that is the difference between a first generation versus an immigrant, right? Because um, I, I can I can say that for my daughter for sure because it it just blends everything is together they don't mm -hmm. separate one from the other don't need know? to yeah, yeah exactly because they're like if you say you know no I'm not I'm not Indian I'm of Indian origin but I'm American you know but 
it's that's an interesting topic too though because um you know i think the more we interact with people outside of a single culture the more we see ourselves as multicultural i agree i yeah. absolutely agree yeah and and i can say you know after living over here for more than 30 years it's like now i don't i i see myself multicultural you know mm -hmm. I've, I've imbibed everything that I see around me. To yeah, my 80, 80 year old mother feels the same way. She's quite multicultural. Oh, yes, I would agree. She came back <laughs> from that trip to Greece with you and acted like she was from Greece. <laughs> with great time. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But no, I think, and I, and I do think the environment does have an, a lot to play with it too. So, you know, um, how you perceive yourself and how you think and how you think in your head versus how you actually act out has a lot to do with, you know, your surroundings, the people around you and the lines that, that you're being fed, you know, you, how, you, how yep. you're being conditioned. So you've come a long way, you know, from you. where you were and how you are today. Cause I've seen you, you know, for the most part, at least, um, oh yeah, many years. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you, you've gone through a long journey, and you and I are the same age. So, you yeah. And I watched. It's like having an out of body experience. You know, standing outside and watching <laughs> like this movie play, right? Yeah. And going through the emotions too. And it's like, gosh, I wish I could do something, but I had no idea what I could do to help. You know. Yeah. Like, that's it. In 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 today's world, that's how I think a lot of us feel. It's like, what should I do? You know. And then you're afraid to do anything because. You know, they're like, no, you don't do things like that. You, you know, you're not supposed to say anything. And today, in you know, just today's environment with all the stuff that's happening, it's like if you don't say something, that means you you're you're with the bad guys. You know, you have well, to stand up and say something. I get that paralysis a lot because mm -hmm. that childhood conditioning of being silent when mm -hmm. you know the authorities are speaking is mm -hmm. a big big thing and mm -hmm. hard to ever get rid of once right. it's there and it wasn't mm -hmm. something my parents taught me it was something that was the extended family mm -hmm. that instilled it in me mm -hmm. um but i think how i break that paralysis for myself is by saying what is the worst thing that could happen to me and the end of that sentence usually ends with death mm -hmm. and then i look at it i'm like i can handle that and mm -hmm. then anything else before that is something i can handle and then mm -hmm. what could i get out of it and experience that sounds good let's do it yeah Yep. Um, and it's like, I always have to go through that conversation in my head, even before I post something, uh, on Facebook in, you know, like a comment to something that I might feel emotional or opt or opinionated about. Mm -hmm. I'm very careful not to, I used to be very careful not to get riled up and not to say anything. In the last few weeks I've been asking myself having this conversation and then just saying it mm -hmm. because it's, there's so much injustice and so much, um, that's going to affect us long term. Yeah. If, if don't we say don't participate exactly um, in in the world, it's not just things that are American that I speak up about. I speak about things happening in other countries as well because it's important to be educated about our entire world. We yep. live here. Yeah. It's our home. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But it's it's really scary. I won't lie. It's scary even today for me to press post. Yep. You know, it takes a but long time. But I do it anyway. Time. Yep. It takes a long time. I do it time. anyway. And then I usually eat ice cream afterwards to treat myself. <laughs> um, 
wow, you posted that. Good job. Now go eat ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, I know every single action like that, every small action like that in, in our, you know, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not very big, but in your head, it is so much bigger. And it oh, is, God, yeah. and I think every little step is a sign of courage. You know, every little step, every progress, everything that you do is a step towards progress. You're better than what you were yesterday. You moved ahead. You know, it's not scary anymore. But, you, you know, know, and thing I think, I, I like how you said every single step. I think part of those steps too, um, part of that process was creating a circle of friends that are yes. uh, also soldiers with me, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm in a battalion of strong, intelligent women, uh, largely single by choice like me, um, really, really highly uh, strong thinkers mm-hmm. and uh, bold, powerful women that I look up to. There, Many of them are younger than me, but I still look up to them and admire mm-hmm. that boldness and mm-hmm. their voice and how they can use that. And I feel like we support each other that way. And I think that's where some of the bravery comes from. It's like friends like you and, you know, having circles of strong women to surround myself with someone to call. Right. When you just need to say, I need five minutes to cry. Mm -hmm. Someone Mm -hmm. that you know that you can do that with. Yeah. Because you do. Part of being brave is being vulnerable and you need to have that community to be vulnerable with. Yep. And being able to stand up and say, I'm not feeling okay right now, you know, or I'm sad Mm -hmm. and I want to cry does not make you weak. It makes you stronger because you're able to stand up and say that, you know, that's absolutely, that's why I'm such a huge, that's actually how this whole, whole podcast even started when I saw Brene Brown's, you know, um, her Ted talk on vulnerability. And I was like, it just struck a chord in me. And I was like, oh my gosh, we've been doing this wrong the whole time, you know? I think a lot of people do. I think they think not talking about things is strength, and it's not. not. Yes. Strength is in numbers. Yes. The wise people have said this throughout history, strength in numbers. Yes. So make those numbers. Have those people you can create your army with, you know? Yep. Just just to, people that'll get you from one day to the next. Yep. And, yep. uh that's a, that's a huge deal for me. And they're also ones that give me ideas of how to be bold, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like if everybody's in my group is going to go do something, even if I'm like, oh, wow, how will I get there? How will I do this? Will I be able to stand? For me, it's really hard because I'm handicapped, right? So if I want to go to a concert and the mm-hmm. concert's in this like, you know, place 45 minutes from me and there's a whole bunch of stairs I have to climb to get to uh, the seat and I don't know how it'll be and there's going to be crowds, like, and where will I park and how far will I have to walk? I have to mm-hmm. think about all those things because I have, you know, um, I have to walk with the, with the device. So mm-hmm. having my army of friends has made all of that so simple because they're like, okay, we got you. We're going to get you here. We're going to do this. We're going to do yep. that. We're going to start at this time. We'll get dinner here so you're not hungry. Like they, that planning for anything I need to do is exactly what I needed to be brave for that situation. I've also had really fun friends that have been like, Hey, you know, let's go to uh, this nudist colony. They're having Mm -hmm. um, black light dance. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. You know, it's like, you got to have those people that are crazy. That'll open up your eyes to different experiences. Like, 
who knew that I would be there that night and would have a boob painted? Like I didn't, (laughs) it just happened, but now I can talk about it. It happened and I didn't die. That's fantastic. Yeah. So (laughs) no, and I think that is huge for a lot of us, you know, who are so used to being brought up in a very closed environment where you're in everything is black and white and you only can do these things. And it, even for me, it has taken me so many years, but I finally am like, you mean I can do this and I don't have to ask anybody's permission and I'm going to be okay at the end of it. It's like, wow, what an empowering and what a, and you know, you feel free. It's like, you do feel free. It's that freedom. It's that freedom. We all seek that freedom to make choices for ourselves. I mean, I, uh, it's funny. I always talk about um, marriage and people, I mean, I don't always talk about marriage. I end up talking about it. Sometimes when I do makeup for weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, and afterwards we'll, we'll chat about that situation. We'll think it, they were beautiful. They were a great couple. They deserve to be together and I hope they last forever. But then we talk about ourselves and we realize we don't want to be trapped. Yep. We don't want to feel like our, our, to me, it's like what my experience of it was, was that my human rights were taken from me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the right to go shopping without being questioned what I was mm-hmm. buying, where I was going, how long would I be out? Would I also pick up this? Like, wait a minute, where's my human right for freedom mm-hmm. to just be a human, go out there and just browse? Right. It's a world. Let me go do that, you know? So I wonder and question um, our relationships and, you know, how do we make sure that those relationships are managed with human rights? They sometimes I think I yell at my mom too much. Sometimes I feel like I'm telling her we have to do this and then you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do that. And then I stop it, stop myself. And I'm like, I'm not letting her be independent. Yeah. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to examine all the relationships we have and ensure that we're protecting the human rights of the people we love. Yes. And that's a responsibility for all of us. Yep. I absolutely agree. Doesn't matter how yeah. old you are. Doesn't matter what country you live in. You know, that's yes. right. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, um, would you wanna? Um, do you wanna say something about you know how you sub with? Because you said you ha- you have lupus and then you have your circle of friends who take care of you. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to talk about? You know, or tell the audience about supporting that cause or you oh, know, what yes, they can do. Yes, of course. Well, so there are many more people that have lupus than anyone realizes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several support groups that are out there. Probably the Lupus Foundation for America's LFA. It does a great deal of um, not only fundraising for research, but also fundraising for support for lupus patients and finding new ways to make their lives easier. When the COVID problem happened and they had decided, well, it was being said in the media because it was reported that hydroxychloroquine might be something to help people that are um, diagnosed with COVID. Um, Instantly, there was a shortage in our community. And Mm -hmm. some of our support groups, it was like, I have six months worth of prescriptions. Anybody needs some, I'll send it to you. It started sounding like, you know, back alley drug dealing. (laughs) Uh, um, And I was getting very worried. And I'd called my doctor. I was like, hey, do I need to do we need to do something about my hydroxychloroquine prescription? And she's like, no, you just stop taking it. I can't get any for six months. Yikes. And this was happening to people 
we are told that that's a life-saving medication for us with mm-hmm. lupus. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was a huge challenge, but the Lupus Foundation of America instantly jumped in and started canvassing. They have a pack. They you know, got involved. They got all the, the medical professionals involved as well, and we um, managed to you know, help the people that were trying to test it. I mean, it got ugly at some point. There were people that had notes from their doctors saying, thank you for your sacrifice before they were even told that they weren't going to get any more Yikes. of it. Um, yeah, it was just not right. So all of that got resolved. So I, yes, I always point at Lupus Foundation of America. We've done several fundraising projects for them and um, they do a walk. So if you're able to walk, please walk for lupus in your city, wherever you are. Um, they do fundraise for that. And it, it, more than fundraising, it's awareness raising we really need. Um, there's also the Lupus Research Foundation. They do a lot of work in terms of funding amazing research happening globally. Mm-hmm. Um, in Canada, there are several um, efforts to try and, and find better um, management, pain management kind of uh, uh, solutions. And there's also a lot of research happening in Canada as well. It's a, a little more open and they have a little more um, flexibility rather than okay. the FDA requirements. Okay. So that's kind of good. But yeah, I would say those are the two big things to learn more about it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. Well, yeah. um, did you have any, any, um, uh, any other comments? Um, anything uh, else you want you know, to shout out to the world? I would just say, um, you know, you are you, so be you. Like be brave, be you. Being yourself is a brave statement on a daily basis. And I would just say, find that in yourself. Just try something or challenge yourself or, um, you know, just sometimes the challenge is just finding somebody that you think might be a good friend to include in your circle. Do that. Reach out. And if you are a brave person and you're bold and you're extroverted, help those people that aren't, you know, pay attention to those introverts that need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and bring them into your circle too, because they need you too, and they need you in their army. We are always part of somebody's battalion, and we're also uh, we also have our own. So we have to remember those circles; they're all yep. intermingling. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Vidya. I really appreciate your spending the time and talking to me about life in general in all the things thank that you you've for been doing. doing this, Malini. This is a huge thing for everyone, and I know I'm going to be a regular subscriber because lord knows there are days i still need to listen to other people tell me how to do this (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much and um i will be talking to you soon thank you okay thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe and if you love the show please leave a review just remember you could be one story away from being inspired